This morning, we are continuing our Life Swap series. Pastor Mark, our senior pastor, both Mount Perrin North locations, one in Marietta, one here in Canton. He's our senior pastor. He was here last week, and he kicked off this series for us in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at it. Um, we obviously looked at it last week, again this week, and then we'll conclude next week. We've been tracking through the book of Ephesians all year. If you've been with us most of the year, you, you, you know that, and you've heard this spiel. But if, if you're new to us today or, or just recently, we have been... Uh, kind of looking at the book of Ephesians throughout the year, not every Sunday, but periodically we'll jump into a series for three or four or five weeks and look at that part of Ephesians and then jump back out and do some different things. And we're in a season here this fall where we're going to do a couple of series back to back of of this book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul who wrote a, a huge part of the New Testament. He wrote it to a church, a people in the city of Ephesus, thus the name Ephesians. So he wrote it to the Ephesian people there, and he's talking to them about the formation of their church community and how to live for God themselves individually and how to do that corporately. And so we've been looking at a lot of different themes throughout the year um, just to give you some context. But today we're going to jump in uh, there towards the end of chapter four. And let me just say this right up front. I told this to our volunteers this morning. Today, beginning today, I mean last week as well, but beginning today because we can't go back, but Beginning today over the next five Sundays, I believe these are some of the most practical messages that we'll do all year long. What I mean by that is not that any of the other messages we have done or or have, have, have participated in here in our services that they weren't practical. But I don't know, when we sat down and looked at this entire year, for some reason, this kind of block of, of sermons... Uh, that were charted for September and October and even into early November are some of the most practical life application, how to live life and honor God that we have in this entire year. And so I encourage you to be here over the next five Sundays. After that, you can just decide you're not coming. That's fine. It'll hurt my feelings, but that's okay. But I'm telling you, this is not a sales pitch, and I say that sometimes to let you know. I genuinely mean this. Over the next five Sundays, we're going to be looking at our emotions We're going to be looking at our habits. We're going to be looking at marriage, parenting, and our work life. I mean, that's where we live in those five kind of things. How we operate internally with our emotions, how we kind of live and the habits that we have externally, our marriage and and relational love, romantic relations that we have, our parenting skills or being a child with a parent, and then how we operate in our daily work environments, whatever that is. If you're a stay-at-home mom or you work in some business community somewhere, you're a teacher, or any kind of facet. So I encourage you over the next five weeks, not only to be here, but to bring someone with you. Because I believe with all of my heart that these next five Sundays could be the Sunday that one of your friends or family members needs to be in this place to hear what God's word says to them very specifically about how to be married and honor God. How to parent your children or to be a child in a parent relationship and and honor God. How to live out a relationship with God in your work life. Or again, the habits that we have, the emotions that we have. So I encourage you to be here And try to bring someone with you. Pray and ask God to open a door to bring someone with you over these next five weeks. Today we jump into Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 26. And this is what it says beginning in verse 26. Just reading two verses. It says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This is a very um, often quoted verse. Some of the, you know... 
pieces of this are quoted by themselves, but we, we quote this, we've heard this, I think there's songs about this. Um, this is the NIV translation. I want to look at one other translation just to grab a little bit of different phrasing, just so as we're looking at this the rest of our time together, we're all on the same page. This is the English Standard Version ESV. This is a version that I use very regularly. This is what it says in the ESV. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So very early in that, instead of in your anger, do not sin, it says be angry and do not sin. And the reason that I wanted us to set that up is the idea that some of us, I don't want at any point in this message today for me to te- for you to think that I'm telling you that you should be emotionless. Okay. That's not going to happen. Some of you last night at the Georgia game or watching Georgia Tech give one away yet again or wherever you land on the on the scale here for your sports, you know, franchise that you cheer for or even if it's not sports, you drive on 75 or 575 or 285 or 411 or you're somewhere you're driving on a road and, and people are idiots and we know this. So I, I got an amen over here. It's the best preaching I've done yet, right? I'm not telling you to be emotionless, but I want us to talk a little bit about how we should do this in a life that honors God. And as we do that, I want us to jump in and look and just define the word anger again, so that we're all on the same page. The word anger that's used here, Justin could give you a lot better understanding of this word, but the, the word anger that's used here in the original language is the idea of anger, the natural disposition, this natural emotional response that we have or a temper or the character inside of us that kind of rises out, a movement or agitation of the soul, an impulse, a desire, any violent emotion, but especially anger. So any violent emotion that comes out of us is really what we're dealing with here when we look at the word anger in that NIV translation or in the ESV where it says to be angry. This is the idea that we're talking about here. So we're talking about this natural disposition we have to be angry. It's a part of the emotional response we have towards things in life or any violent impulse desire that comes out of us, especially anger. But there's a lot that look there, a lot that are included there. And what I want us to do really quickly is look at the same word used somewhere else in the book of Mark chapter three. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to Mark chapter three. We're going to look at verse 5 very quickly, and we're going to let some of you off the hook because some of you are thinking, man, he is, he's preaching all up in my business today, and I don't like it. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, this is what it says. He, Jesus, looked around at them with anger. Can I get an amen? Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and he was restored. Now, here's what happened. Here's, here's the context of what's going on. Jesus is standing there. There's a bunch of religious leaders, and there's a man who needs to be healed. But the religious leaders are, are not, they don't want Jesus to heal him because it's the Sabbath. And so Jesus sees this man who needs a touch from God, and he sees these religious people. And let me just kind of lump us all in here. This would probably be us. He shows up in our church service, Right? And he's looking at all of us who are religious and we understand here's the do's and don'ts. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's what we're not supposed to do. And we understand in the keeping of the law that we're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And so they see Jesus performing a miracle as work. And so they're, they're, they're frustrated and they don't want him to do this. And so he looks at them and, and they don't respond in the way that he should. He thinks they should. And so Jesus looks at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And said to the man who needs to be healed, stretch out your hand. He does. And he's healed. But we see Jesus here is angry. This is the exact same word that's used in our Ephesians 4 passage. So Jesus has this kind of response that we see Paul writing to the Ephesians about. 
So anger in and of itself is not sinful because Jesus experienced it. And we know that Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years without sin. We know this because of Hebrews chapter 4. I'm I'm hitting a lot of scriptures up front to set the the tone for where we're at. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 say, Therefore, since we have a great high priest talking about Jesus who has ascended into heaven from earth where he was at, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, we just found out that was Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So the idea here that he experienced this anger towards these religious leaders, and Paul's saying, in your anger, or be angry but don't sin, there's now a line of differentiation that we've got to find. How can I be angry but not sin? How can I do what Jesus did, right, without crossing over into sin and, and, and missing the admonishment of Paul here to live a life that honors God in the way that I am wired emotionally uh, with my anger? So let's look at this. Why do we get angry? I got four things that I think kind of sum most of them up. I may be missing something, but I think we've got four things that help us when we understand why we get angry. The first thing is that we're provoked. We're provoked to anger. There is a natural disposition inside of us. There's some natural response. We're provoked to anger by something. Someone does or says something. A lot of times it's someone that knows us really well and they know exactly what button to push and they push that button and we respond in that way. Right? I've got a younger brother. He lives right here. Okay? He just knows exactly what he can say, what he can do to just get a rise out of me. Right? I've told this before, but I talk, talk, talk to my brother on the phone very regularly. I talk a lot. And several years ago, probably seven, eight, nine years ago, I was on the phone with my brother and he said something. I don't even remember what it was now. He said something that just got me so mad. We hung up the phone. I was so frustrated and angry and mad. And I caught, picked up the phone real fast, called my mom. Not to tell on him. I'm not a sissy. I don't know what you're laughing about. I called my mom and I said, listen, you've been lying to me my entire life. Today's the day you tell the truth. Jason's adopted, right? Because there is no way that both of us came from the same two parents. We're so different. We think different. He gets on my nerves. She said, yeah, I was there both times. It's the same, same mom, same dad, right? I mean, my brother lives right here. He provokes the anger in me. Maybe you have someone in your life, maybe a spouse that's sitting next to you right now that you're elbowing, provokes this anger. That's one way, one reason that we get angry. The second is hurt. We get hurt in some way. And as a defensive mechanism out of our hurt, we respond in anger. Someone hurts us, they do something to us to hurt us, and they res- we respond in anger. A third reason that we get angry is fear. We get afraid of something. And so out of our fear, again, defensively, we respond in anger. It's, just, it's, it's our natural, some of us, natural defensive response to our fear. And the fourth is unmet expectations. We get angry because we expected us to do something. I expected myself to do something. I didn't do it and I get angry. I get mad at myself. Now this may, this may only track on certain personality types. Some people set expectations for themselves, don't meet them and don't care. 
other people set expectations. They don't meet them and they go into a funk for like 72 hours that they didn't do it. They, they didn't meet the deadline. They didn't get it exactly right. It wasn't perfect exactly like they wanted it to be. And, and that's their expectation is unmet. They get angry. Sometimes it's the expectations of others. We get angry because we know our boss set a deadline. He set a metric that we were trying to reach and we didn't reach it. We didn't, we didn't nail it. We didn't stay under the budget. We didn't whatever. He had some, she had some expectation of us. We didn't meet that expectation. And our response to that unmet expectation is anger towards them, towards ourselves. Most of this, again, and I've used the word a couple of times, most of this is defensive mechanism here. It's just us defensively throwing out anger to keep away from the core part of who who we are, which is I'm afraid, I'm hurt, or I'm disappointed. I mean, there is a natural anger emotion that we all have. That's a part of our natural discourse. It's what I believe Jesus responded here out of his grief for the, the, he was kind of brokenhearted or or grieving towards the hard heartedness of people that said they loved his father. So there's an anger that's going to naturally rise out of that. But most of us in our unhealthy anger, it comes out of us throwing anger out there to protect the hurt and the fear and the disappointment that we have inside. And if, we, if we're just angry and we just throw it out there and we keep it out front and we, we throw it at you and we scream at you or we, just, we do all kinds of things out front, then no one can get back into the part of us that's afraid or hurt or disappointed. And so a lot of times our anger is just a protection, this, this defensive mechanism that we throw out to try to, to, to close up ourselves. The reason that we do this is, is sometimes we, we, we have a spouse that does something to upset us. And so we just, we lash out in anger because we're so hurt by whatever it is that they did to us. We have a child that doesn't maybe meet the expectations that we had, or they, they, they break something that now we have to pay for and whatever the response, and we get angry and we, we, we have this angry response towards our child for something that they did. Some prayer that we've been praying goes unmet. A friend or a family member sick, we pray to God. They're not healed like we want them to here on earth and they pass away and we get angry at God. Why are we angry at God? We're angry at God because we're hurting. Why are we yelling at our kid? Because now we're, we're, we're disappointed and, and it's going to cost us money. We're afraid of other repercussions maybe. Why are we angry at a spouse? Because we're hurt and disappointed. Unmet expectations. Our boss, all the things that we, the examples we use, our boss sets these these goals and criteria and we don't meet them and now we're angry. Why? Why are we angry? We're angry because we're we're afraid. Can I keep my job? Are they going to let me go? They're looking for ways to save money. It's a down economy. We're afraid. We're disappointed in ourselves or in others. And so we lash out in this way. But you have a decision to make in response to this anger. When we feel, whether it be this natural emotion that we do have, or maybe out of our hurt or fear or this disappointment that we face, we have now a response. How, how should I then respond? What should my, my follow-up action be? And it's, again, in, in verses, the end of verse 26 and verse 27 of what we read in Ephesians 4, and it says this, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, as I was preparing, Corey and I were talking about this this week. 
talking about this idea, and I've heard this in marriage, marriage counseling. You know, if you're angry, don't go to bed mad. Don't, make sure you, you, know, you fix it before you go to sleep and all this. And, and she actually showed me somewhere, I think it was on Pinterest maybe, somewhere some quote that somebody had where they said, no, you should go to sleep. Just don't deal with it. Because like if you're tired, you, you know, you're going to say things you don't mean, so just go to bed. And so then the other spouse is trying to figure out what you were thinking right before you went to bed. And then all night, one or both of you, or maybe neither of you can't sleep, or you're trying to figure, and then you wake up, and the next morning, one or two of you wake up still thinking about what happened. And so I disagree with that, but that's just my opinion. And God's, by the way. Hello. All right. So, (laughs) sorry, just thought I'd throw that out there. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, why is this important? Other than some of the things that I just mentioned, why is this important? What happens to anger that's unresolved? Man, anger that's unresolved turns into bitterness, turns into resentment. It turns into rage sometimes, depending on what it is. I mean, let's go back to 575, 75, 285 and 400 where, I mean, we're just, we get up and we're already angry. We haven't even gotten in the car yet. I mean, we're just so already, we just, we haven't, we haven't fixed it, right? We haven't bought a helicopter to go over top of it, I guess. I'm not sure what the fix would be there. But if we don't resolve our anger, we we have all these other emotions that begin to kind of rise up in us. And those are the things that the enemy, the devil here that we read about, he, he, he can tend to use those things to now drive a wedge into relationships or to drive a wedge into those soft places of our heart. So the examples that we used earlier, you know, you're hurt or you, you, you lash out in anger because of something that a spouse did to you. And, and what that unresolved anger now breeds is a statement like this. You know, if he really loved me, he wouldn't continue to do these dumb things. Make me feel this way. She wouldn't say those things if she really loved me, if she really supported me. If God is so good, why did my mom pass away? Not a natural question of, of wondering and, and asking God. I believe those questions are fair and I don't believe they throw God off. But if, if they turn into anger and resentment and bitterness and, and questioning the God that we just sang about. If you're good, why'd you let her die? It's unresolved anger that now breeds something in us that, that creates this rift between me and my maker. Between me and my spouse. Between me and my children, between me and my neighbors, between me and my boss, because it's unresolved. The anger that I feel because I thought I was getting a promotion and someone else got it. And and I just never get over it. And and, and I'm now, I'm bitter towards the person that got the promotion. I'm bitter towards my boss that didn't give me the promotion. And there begins to be this like self-doubt that's created inside of me. The more I think about it, the more I dwell on it. And me personally and the enemy too just kind of start working on me. You know, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you don't measure up. Maybe you don't have what it takes. You know what? They probably didn't give you the promotion because they're going to let you go anyway. And now it breeds more and more and more fear and worry and anxiety and doubt. You ever heard the enemy use any of those things in your life? I have. This unresolved anger continues to escalate into more and more and more emotionally charged like fear and hurt and disappointment. Anger is this unhealthy thing when it's left alone. It just begins to fester and eat at us. 
Speaking of eat in, in preparation for this, I found a study at Duke University, which I hate Duke University. But I found this study at Duke University. I'm a North Carolina fan, by the way. I found this study that people who are angry, like just kind of naturally, they're just angry about everything. They eat 600 more calories per day. Speaking of eating away at you. It's this unhealthy thing that just kind of festers inside of us and breeds more and more unhealthiness. So we're admonished, we're told by Paul here to deal with it. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. And so we're told, listen, if you want to live in ways that honor God, your natural anger response may not be sinful, but if you don't address it, 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 it can turn into sin. It can turn into something hurtful for you and for others. And so we deal with it today. As soon as humanly possible, we want to bring reconciliation into relationship. We want to bring healing. We want to bring peace back into our lives and the lives of others. And I, I ran across this. This is not a, a new scripture, and I don't want to put things together that don't belong together, but I really believe that there's this idea that if I deal with the anger that I'm feeling before the end of this day, then I find something new tomorrow. I don't wake up dwelling on the same anger that I went to sleep thinking about. I don't dwell on the same resentment and bitterness and rage and all the, the ugly emotions that fester inside of me. And I don't wake up with this, this ugly temperament that I went to bed with. But what I find, Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 through 24 say this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. No matter what yesterday's hurts and pains and disappointments and fears were. If I choose to let those things go and find peace and go and forgive those who have hurt me and find forgiveness in those who I've, I've been hurt by. If I do that every single day, then I can wake up finding the new mercies of the Lord every morning. The children of Israel in the Old Testament, they're, they're God's covenant chosen people. And they come out of Egypt. They come out of captivity. They've been slaves in Egypt. Moses comes and, and through the, the hand and the power of God, he, he works uh, to just do these supernatural miracles. And, and, and God helps to, for Pharaoh to let his people go. And they walk out of Egypt and they walk out into the desert, headed towards the promised land. And they get out into the middle of the desert. And here's what happens. A couple days in, they look at Moses and they go, why did you bring us here? Like, yeah, we were enslaved in Egypt, but we weren't starving to death. Like, we're hungry. Where's our food? We're thirsty. Where's our drink? And so Moses goes and prays to God and God says, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send food. Every night it will fall. You wake up every morning, you get enough for that day. Don't try to get enough for two days. Get enough for that day. And on the weekend, before the Sabbath, I want you to get enough for two days so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. If you try to get too much, it's going to spoil overnight. And some of the people tried to do that, and sure enough, it did. And when I listen to that story, when I read that story, and hopefully what you take away from that story is this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word tells us that. And if he was powerful enough to provide food to an entire nation of people... From the time they went to sleep and until they woke up. 
And they could walk out in the morning and gather up enough to make it that day. Then he's the same God for you who can help bring healing and hope in your life where there was anger. If you will release it to him, work towards reconciliation with others, I believe you will wake up in the morning and find the new mercies of God available to you for that day. I believe that with all of my heart. I think if you hang on to it, if you try to make it, you know, if you're just going to carry it from day to day, you know what it's going to do? It's going to do the same thing that that food that God provided did. It's going to spoil. It's not going to be healthy for you. Again, I don't want to put things together that aren't together, but this is the story of God and his nature and his compassion towards you. And you know what I see in this story? That God loves you. And God wants you to wake up tomorrow and for tomorrow to be the best tomorrow it can be. And if you try to carry the hurts and pains and disappointments of today into tomorrow, it's going to ruin tomorrow too. And so my challenge for you is to deal with your anger. Deal with your emotion. There's a pastor that I read a lot of his stuff. His name is Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He pastors the National Community Church. He's written several books, all of them excellent if you run across any of his resources. He has a saying that he quotes in several different books. He also quotes it on his blog. And it's this this kind of mathematical equation. It says this. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. I want you to look at that and think about that for your life. Change of place plus change of pace equals a change of perspective. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get into a daily routine and it's hard for me to change my perspective. It's hard for me to get out of just kind of the routine and the rhythm of that day and what I'm experiencing and what I'm going through. And I can't really change the perspective of what I'm facing and the emotions that are generated by those experiences. What he's saying here is if I can remove myself from that place go out into the woods behind my house, go hunting, go on vacation, go play golf, go into the closet in my bedroom, whatever. Find a different place, go on a walk, something. Get, get a different place, change the pace, and I have the ability potentially here to change my perspective, which is a huge part of dealing with emotion. Because emotion, if we're not careful, can be this endless cycle that breeds more and more emotion. And our perspective of what the reality of the situation is can sometimes be skewed by the emotions that we're facing. And emotions by, by themselves are not necessarily bad things. I believe they are given to us by God. But if those emotions begin to warp our perspective where we can't see the reality of the situation, then I think sometimes we may need to look at this transaction here and see if we can find some way to change our perspective. What is the perspective that connects to anger? That if the reason that you and I get angry is that we're afraid and that we're hurt, that there's been some unmet expectation or we've been provoked by someone else, guess what? We have done that to others. The reality is that we've provoked others to anger. The reality is that we have hurt others. The reality is that we've made other people afraid. 
The reality is that we've set expectations for others that probably were not fair on them. Not fair to them. No way they could meet those expectations. And so where we have experienced anger in our lives as we lashed out because of our own hurt or fear or unmet expectations or just being provoked. If we're not careful, we can think, man, I'm, I'm the only one that feels this way. Why is this happening to me? We internalize it and make it about us. And we put ourselves in the center of the story of the universe. When really the story is not about us. And really in the story, in the part that we play, that very small role that God even allows us to play, we haven't always been the victim. We've also been the one who has hurt others. We've also been the one who has created fear and provoked to anger and set these unreachable, unmeetable, if that's even a word, expectations. And so our perspective needs to be changed. We need to, and this is a phrase I use a lot. If you've been around me very much, you've heard me say this. We need to zoom out. Like I get this amazing, amazing perspective about God and and how big God is and how small I am when I'm standing in front of the ocean. I don't know where, where you need to be standing to get that. But when I'm standing in front of the ocean, I am overwhelmed by how big God is. When I travel somewhere in the world, which I've had the great privilege to do and to preach and to minister and and, and go all over these different places and do these incredible things. Like when I get there and this is this is a dumb story, like some of you are not even going to get this. But the first time I ever went anywhere outside of the United States. I went to Moscow, Russia. And I was sitting in Moscow on a Sunday morning. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning and we were starting our church service. And, and my dad got up to preach. And as he was preaching, he said something that would, you would just kind of skip right over and not think a thing about it. He said, you know, as we're concluding our service somewhere else in the world, someone's just starting theirs. I was 10 years old. And I remember thinking at 10 years old, and I've never forgotten this. And this this is how I thought about it at 10, and we'll kind of enlarge this thought in a minute. But here's how I thought about it at 10 years old. Man, on Sunday, people are worshiping God for 24 straight hours. I mean, that's all I could figure out. That there was just 24 hours in time on a Sunday when as we were finishing our church service here in Canton, Georgia, an hour behind us, somebody else is starting theirs. And then when they finish, an hour behind them, and I guess that would be mountain time, somebody's starting theirs. And mountain time gets done and then West Coast gets started. And then, I mean, it just to me was like, oh, my goodness, all day long, people are worshiping God. And here's as we kind of enlarge that thought, I realize it's not just on Sundays. When you whisper a prayer to God and you conclude that prayer somewhere else in the world, somebody's whispering a prayer to God of need, of thanksgiving. That's a big, big thought. It's a big, big world. He's a big, big God. And when I change my perspective, it allows me to not focus on some of the little tiny details of my story that get me so bent out of shape. I get up at that 50,000 foot level and kind of look down on my situation and I go, why am I worried about that? That one little thing that I am, I, I thought they meant something 
bad about me. They may not have even meant anything about me. I thought they were setting these expectations in me. I thought they were trying to hurt me. I thought they were trying to breed and create fear in me. They, They may not have even had a clue. I even heard that statement. I zoom out. And for some of us, as we look at our emotions, as we look at our anger, we have to zoom out of the right in the middle of it, so emotionally charged, so emotionally filled. How am I going to make it through this? I don't know if I can make it to the end of today. But if we zoom out and see that we've made it days before, and should the Lord allow us, we'll make it days beyond. And that situations in our past that we never thought we would make it through, we made it through. We survived. God is good. It didn't kill us. Maybe it did make us stronger. But I zoom out. I change my perspective. This is what the concluding verses of Ephesians chapter 4 says. Verses 31 and 32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's zoomed out thinking right there. Zoomed in thinking is, man, I've been hurt. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I can't believe they would do that to me. Zoomed out thinking is, man, they're human like me. They make mistakes like I do. I need to forgive them. I'm not talking about being a robot here. I'm not talking about not experiencing emotion. I don't know if we have this on the screen. This is from the first three verses, verses of Ephesians chapter 4. This is what it says. We started this chapter about a month and a half ago. And this is what we started with right here. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I, Paul, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is Paul right here starting this chapter. Starting this part of the text. By saying, listen, when you encounter other people, when you interact with other people, guess what? You're going to find them to be flawed. And so you need to start with humility and gentleness and patience. And you need to bear with one another in love. It means that you're not the only person that's going to get hurt. You're not the only person that's going to create fear in someone. You're not the only person that's going to create these expectations in others that they're never going to be able to meet. And as I was preparing this and even going back through it this morning, you know where that landed for me? My kids. I don't want to set expectations for my kids that they can't even meet at 7 and 5 and 3 and 1. And some of you just had a heart attack thinking about kids that age. Seven and five and three and one. I don't want to like I want I want them to do their best. I want God to do incredible things in and through them. I want them to just just be succeed in every facet of life. But I don't want to put expectations on them that they can't meet. And when they don't meet them, I get mad about it. When I search my heart, I may need to start there. So here's the question. This is kind of the end question today. If, if anger is a natural response in some situations, and I can be angry, but I've got to find a way not to let anger become sin in my life, then how do I, how do I find that line? I think Paul's 
writings here are very clear. I have to deal with my anger. I just have to respond to my anger. I have to maybe process it internally. I have to get through it. I have to work through it. I have to feel what I feel. I have to journal. If I'm a journaler, I have to write. I have to walk it out. I have to drive. I have to go hit a golf ball, shoot a deer, whatever. I got to do something. Okay? Don't put that person's face on the deer. I got to change my perspective. I've got to change my place and my pace. I've got to zoom out and see the larger story that God is writing in my life. But I got to deal with my anger. I got to deal with my emotion. I cannot allow it to fester. And what Paul gives us here is a very clear timeline about how we need to do that. And he says, listen, before the sun goes down, you need to deal with it. And so here's the question for you today. Before the sun goes down today, who, who, who do you need to make it right with? What do you need to do before the sun goes down today? What is it that's been festering inside of you? What have you not dealt with that's just there that you need to do? Now, the first step for some of you may not be to call that person. You're not there yet. All right? Just know that. But what do you need to do before the sun goes down? How do you start this process towards peace? Towards reconciliation? Towards this humble, gentle, patient, loving kindness, bearing with one another, forgiving those as you want to be forgiven? How do I get there? What's my first step? Maybe I call them. Maybe I write it down. Maybe I text them to start. Maybe, I don't know. Unblock them on Facebook. I don't know what you need to do. But you do. You know. What do you need to do before the sun goes down today? God has given to you this incredible sense of emotion in your life to help you to respond to, but not just to respond to, but to live and enjoy life. To live life, to be a part of this incredible world that he's placed us in. But you don't want that to be your stumbling block. Let's pray. God, I... uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word speaks to issues like this. I thank you that your word speaks to us about how we should live and how we should interact with others. I thank you that your scriptures are applicable to the way that we live every day. And so God, for those of us that are struggling now with just fear, or struggling with unmet expectations, Ours or someone else's on us. We're struggling with hurt. We've been provoked. And our response to any of those things has been anger that we've just not really dealt with. God, would you help us today not to be defensive in our mechanism? Not to shield ourselves, not to hide our hurts and pains and fears and doubts and worries and unmet expectations. God, would you help us not to hide behind anger and leave those things unresolved? But God, would you let us go on the offensive and open ourselves up, take the first step, 
forgive those who have hurt us. Make the phone call. Write the letter. Walk across the hallway. Help us to take the first step. And you know what? We may find more hurt. But not from you. Everything that we've said about you today is true. That you are good and you're able. You're merciful. And that God, you, you're a healer. You're a forgiver. You're merciful. You're gracious. And so today, Lord, as we try to find reconciliation with other flawed, broken human beings... Would we rest in your love for us? That even if we're hurt in this world, even if we're afraid in this world, even if we're disappointed in this world, you told us you would never leave us. You would never forsake us. You would be with us to the very ends of the age. And so God, today I pray for peace in our lives. I pray for strength to make some tough decisions. And God, I pray for boldness to take action. Don't let us be passive here. This is a big moment. What do I need to do before the sun goes down today? In Jesus' name, amen.